Welcome to Gathering Ministries podcast. We pray you will enjoy God's presence as you listen. As we're getting ready here to um, start the second part of the Bible study, if you were here last week or if you were able to listen on Facebook or Spotify, you know that we did started the series of the goodness of God on when bad things happen to us. So tonight, I wanted to go ahead and start, continue the series of the goodness of God, When Bad Things Happen to Us, Part (laughs) 2, because I couldn't fit it all in in one night. We talked about uh, Satan, and we were very, um, how Satan attacks us. And that we have victory over Satan. You all know you have victory over Satan, correct? Okay. Then we talked about how other people will attack us and what our response is supposed to be. Then we talked about Job and how Job was attacked. And we saw very clearly in the end of Job that Job admitted, I was trying to be God I was proud. I basically did exactly what Satan did, and I decided I was God and was going to speak for God, et cetera, et cetera. How foolish of me. And once he learned that lesson, God restored to him double everything that was taken from him. As we continue in that thought process, there's a lot of things. He's still working on me, okay? So... If you all see all these things that you want to criticize me about, tell God, okay? Don't come to me. I don't need to hear it. Tell God, all right? Because he's still working on me, and he will, he'll take care of it. But in um, this discussion, God has a plan for every one of us. And things that have happened in our lives, good and bad, are not by chance or accident. But here's the wonderful thing we're going to find out tonight, is even when the horrible thing happened because we made such terrible choices. Okay, everybody's with me there, right? I've been in that place. Have you? You're like, how could I be so stupid? Well, do you know that God will take what was meant for evil and turn it for our good? Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? So tonight we're going to talk about how God works in our lives and his plan for us and what our response should be when bad things are happening in our lives. I've had some, done a A lot of counseling and a lot of people are very distraught over things happening in their lives. And I hope tonight we can see not what a counselor says, not what the books say, not let's go get a book where I'm okay, you're okay. No, let's just get into the Word of God and see what God has to say about it. So let's go to start with Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. We all know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, don't we? Great verses, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. 
not by works, so that no one can boast. All right? But how many of you know what Ephesians 2.10 says? Right. For we are God's handiwork. I love the, the translation that says we are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Here you go. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, you may have a very important job God wants you to do, and you have to take that horrible class in college to be prepared for it. You know, you, God, we don't know what God has planned for each one of you, but he has something wonderful planned for every single person in this room. And what he needs you to do, he will prepare you to do it. Okay? He will prepare you to do it. And that preparation sometimes is fun, <laughs> and sometimes it can be very, very painful. But he is going to work in us, keep working in us, to prepare us for the work he has for us to do. Isaiah 26, verse 12. Lord, you established peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. I find it very interesting Men, not so much. Men can ride on an elevator with a bunch of other men, and they'll get off, and they won't know anybody's name or anything about them, all right? Put three or four women on an elevator. By the time they get to the top floor, man, they know their name. They know where they work. They know how many kids they have. They know just about everything there is to know about them, whether they use uh, this makeup or that makeup and the best shoes. Oh, I like your shoes. Oh, you should get these shoes online. And you can go on and on and on. By the time you get off the elevator, you're best friends. Right? But how many of us really understand that all that we say about ourselves is really what God has accomplished in us? You see, to God be the glory. To God be the glory for the things he has done. Just let me live my life. And let it be pleasing, Lord, to you. And should I gain... Any praise, let it go to Calvary. You see, if you're the very best at what you do, to God be the glory. If you're learning to do what you're learning to do, to God be the glory. If you're doing something that you have never done before, to God be the glory. If you are doing what you think is in a very important job, listen to God, it's extremely important, or he wouldn't have you doing it, to God be the glory. You see, that is what he is saying here. I am working in your lives. I'm the one doing it. 2 Timothy 3.16, you all know this verse, and I'm going to follow it up with Hebrews 4.12, but 2 Timothy 3.16. If you've been in church for very long, I am sure you have heard this scripture. Okay? And we use the scripture to validate that scripture is true. But I want you to see something 
in this that often we miss. All scripture is God-breathed and, and useful. Okay, we stop with it's God-breathed. In other words, all scripture came from God. Amen? Amen. If God said it, we believe it. And that settles it. Right? Okay, but look what it's for. Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You see, if somebody, many of you have done it, you've come to me, what do you think about? And you really don't want to know what I think. Let's be honest. And my answer is, it doesn't matter what I think. Let's see what God says about it. And that is where we need to understand that if we see Scripture and we disagree with what Scripture says, please hear me. If you never hear another thing that I say, if you disagree with anything Scripture says, the problem is not the Scripture. Okay? This is absolute truth, and it is used for our training, for our correcting, and yes, sometimes for our rebuking, and we need to know that Scripture does that. Well, Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is alive, sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating the soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Okay? So the word of God is one way God uses to work in our lives. And I'm going to tell you, I, I'll be the first to say I haven't done it, so if all of you are saying, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, look, God is, aren't you glad God's grace and mercy is part of his goodness, which we've already talked about? But boy, can you imagine what would happen if Christians started living by the word of God? Whoa, I'm not talking about the sinners out there. I'm just talking about Christians. How about a Christian start living by the word of God? You see, when you do that, you will not be available for Satan to deceive. You see, he will deceive you when you do not know what you do not know. Now, let me say that again. Most dangerous place to be where Scripture is concerned is when you do not know what you do not know. Let that sink in. Dangerous place to be. Isaiah 64, 8. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Isaiah 8, 29, I'm going to tie all of these together. Isaiah 8, 29. There is no Isaiah 8, 29. No, 2916. I read the comma wrong. Let's try that. Isaiah 2916. You turn things upside down. 
<laughs> as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? Oh boy, is that us or what? God, let me help you out. You apparently aren't understanding where I am. And let me just help you understand this a little bit better. Have you ever been there? Uh, can the pot really tell the potter you don't know what you're doing? Right. He knows what he is doing. And then 2 Timothy 2. We have heard many times that uh, we're crackpots. Okay? There's been different teachers that have said, oh, yes, we're pots of clay. We have cracks in us, on and on and on. I reject that. I reject that, and I reject it for this reason. Because when God gets a hold of us, he makes some of us as vessels of honor. And 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21 says this. In large houses, there are articles of not only gold and silver, but also wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instrument for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. You see, when God gets a hold of you, you might have been a cracked clay pot, but by the time he's done with you, you are useful and you are honorable and he has a job for you to do. You see, we don't stay in that condition. How many of you have been a Christian um, for more than three days? Well, then you know God's going to change you, right? Right? There's no, not a person in here that's exactly the same they were the day they accepted Christ. You know, and you might have come to him with an absolute mess. And one of the problems we make in the church is we want people to get nice and cleaned up and then come to church. Okay? A lot of churches want you to be nice and clean before you come to church. Listen, our job isn't to clean them. Our job's to catch them. Okay? We catch them. God cleans them. Right? Right, but God does start the cleaning process. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says that we are vessels made of clay, okay? Now, there was a potter that went into his shop. And sitting on the bench was a piece of clay. That clay had been sitting there for a while. And finally, the potter noticed the clay. The clay got the potter's attention. And the potter said, I'm going to make something beautiful with this piece of clay. So he picked the clay up. And he started working it. And the clay said, ouch, 
that hurts. Ow! And the potter kept working it and got it pliable and set it down. I was like, oh, I am so glad that is done. That was miserable. But I have to admit, now I feel a whole lot better. The next day, the potter came in, and he picked that clay up, and he started again. He was like, oh, please don't do this. Set me down. And all of a sudden, the potter started punching him and punching him and punching him. And he was making this beautiful, round teacup that was absolutely gorgeous. But the clay did not know that. The clay just felt this punching, punching, punching going on. He said, set me down. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Please don't make me do this. The potter got it shaped like a teacup and set it down. The teacup looked in the mirror and he was like, oh, wow, look at me. I guess that was worth it after all. I really look nice. So, well, that wasn't so bad. Okay. Okay. A few days went by and the piece of clay was very happy with where he was. He thought, this is great. Potter came back into his shop, and he walked over, and he picked it up, and he looked at it, and he said, oh, there's an imperfection there. That cannot stay in this teacup. So he molded it all up again. <laughs> and he worked it into a big thing, and then he started pounding again, and this time he got that imperfection out. And the whole time the clay was crying, why, why are you doing this to me? Please pick somebody else. There's all kinds of teacups over there. Don't do this to me. And he got it shaped beautifully. And that piece of clay said, I'm perfect. There's no imperfection in me at all. Potter came in the next day and said, okay. He took that piece of clay and stuck it in the fire. He said, you're kidding me. How long is this going to last? Are you kidding me? I am in the fire. But what he, well, he got so caught up being in the fire that what he didn't recognize is the potter never left him. The potter was there the whole time. And just when he thought he couldn't take any more, he was getting ready to just break and scream, the potter pulled him out. And he set him down and he goes, oh, why, that made me so shiny. Okay. 
And the next day, the potter came in and picked that cup up and painted just the most beautiful flowers on that teacup. It's probably Mary Kay, so we'll just <laughs> painted it beautifully. Oh, this teacup, after all that time, was beautiful. And said, okay, looking back over everything I have been through, to where I am brought now, this was worth it. And then he stuck him in the fire again and turned it up. <laughs> because now that really had to be sealed. And he left him in there and the teacup said, I did not ask for this. This is not what I planned with my life. This is not at all what I wanted to do. You are totally changing my whole outlook. What do I have to do this for? All my friends are still clay on the shelf. Why are you making me do this? I know friends that are teacups and they never had to go through all this. Why are you doing this to me? Pulled him out, took him to a shop and set him on the top shelf. A very wealthy lady from England came to visit. She walked in and she instantly saw it. She said, I love that teacup. She said, oh, I love that teacup. And he said, it's very beautiful, isn't it? She said, yes. She said, how much is it? He said, well, ma'am. That teacup is $100,000. She goes, but you have other ones down here. How much are they? He said, oh, you can have any of those for 10 She said, what makes that teacup so special? And he said, because of what the potter has put in to make it what it is. You see, God wants us to be top shelf teacups. He is not interested in people just skating by. He wants you to be vessels of honor. And when you are going through those tough times, it isn't because God is not being good to you. Oh, it's just the opposite. God sees in you what nobody else sees. And he is saying, I have great plans for them, and they need to be prepared, and they need to be ready for what I have for them. The teacup experience. You'll know a lot of people that'll settle. But you know, God has a plan for our lives. Hebrews 11, 12, 11 said, no discipline seems wonderful at the time. As a matter of fact, it's miserable, isn't it? Yes. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see, God doesn't do anything by happen chance. He has a plan for our lives. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. Well, let's do Hebrews 1, 6, and 7 on our way. It says, in all this you greatly rejoice. So now, 
For a little while, you may have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so they prove in genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And then 4, 12, and 13 says this. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come to test you as though something strange were happening. But rejoice! Inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Look, don't be surprised. Isaiah 55 tells us God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways aren't our ways. You know what? A lot of times we want God's ways to be our ways and his thoughts to be our thoughts, huh? God, I have a great idea. Yeah. Oh, God, I just came up with this wonderful idea. What do you think of it? He's like, what? Please understand any idea that even comes to you is from me. You know, we need to understand that God is working in our lives. I want to touch just briefly on a couple of things here because I have dealt with a lot of people and they say, if God is so good, why did my loved one die? And death is probably the most difficult yet misunderstood yet experienced of anything we will ever have in our lives. Now let me talk to you for just a minute about that. And that is this. You, there's not a single person in this room that was created to die. Death was never part of our DNA. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, remember, there was no death. Okay? And God said, look, You'll never experience death so long as you do not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why would God not want them to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because up to that point, they did not know evil. And he said, once you experience evil... You will experience the sin that is the result of evil, which includes death. Therefore, you will die. So when anyone dies, it is such a difficult thing for us to grasp, to understand, to really put in its rightful place. So if you are totally not understanding why that happened, then I have good news for you. You're a human being. Now, in our society, there is a very uh, strong desire for things of death. Okay, we have stories on death. We have movies on death. We have 
games about death. We have videos about death. There's just death, 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 death invading our society. I personally think that people know that there's a void in their life. And because they cannot understand death, they have decided that death is the reason there's that void, and if they can ever understand death, there won't be any void. The void is Jesus. It's just the opposite. Now, when you accept Christ, you're not going to understand death any more than you did before you accepted Christ. The only difference is you're no longer dead. If you have not accepted Christ, please hear me, you are the walking dead. The new TV show, or it might be old by now, called The Walking Dead is not original, okay? That's straight from the Bible. If you do not know Jesus Christ, you are the walking dead. And honestly, that should cause us to mourn a whole lot more. Because if you look at Psalm, well, we're going to look at a few verses here. Let's go to Isaiah 57.1. This verse helps me so much, so many times. And it has been a picture of the goodness of God. The righteous perish, and no one takes it to heart. The devout are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away. Why? To be spared from evil. You see, God in his great love and mercy sees your life. And he knows what's coming up. He knows. And he knows whether that would destroy you or not. And rather than let you go through that and be destroyed, he says, no, 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 no. I am loving and merciful. That's the first thing I want you to understand. The second thing I want you to see is this verse that goes along with it, and that is Psalm 116. Psalm 116, and I want to look at verse 15. We mourn, and you're going to mourn. Please understand, you're going to mourn because you will never understand this. If we had an open heaven and we could see all of them there, it would help us, wouldn't it? Boy, it would help us so much. But listen to when a Christian dies. Listen to this, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Do you know that while we're saying, oh, God is saying, isn't this beautiful? There are two times the Bible tells us that heaven rejoices. And that's when one goes from the walking dead to the alive, and the other when it goes from the physical dead to heaven. All of heaven rejoices. 
When death is destroyed, heaven rejoices, both spiritually and physically. You see, when your loved one dies, you're, you're mourning, and that is perfectly normal because like I started out, we will never understand it. It makes no sense to us. But I have news for you. All of heaven is saying, here they come. Isn't this great? They made it. That's a beautiful thing. And that's why Jesus told us in John 11, I didn't write it down there, but you can look it up, John 11. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he died, he really didn't die. Because whoever believes in me will never die. You see, it's a beautiful thing that... We have that scripture because what it tells us now is the way heaven defines death. And if you look it up in the, in the Greek and Hebrew, it will tell you, I didn't want to take the time, but I'm doing it anyway. I guess I should have put it down there. The way, the way that heaven or the way scripture defines death is not going to heaven or hell because we just read we're going to live forever. Death is defined as separation from God. Now, that'll make more sense to you when you understand at the cross, Jesus destroyed death. In other words, he destroyed our separation from God. That's the true death. And that is why you have walking dead, because they're separated from God. And if your loved one knew Jesus, I have news for you. They are way better off than you are, because physically, everybody in this room, I have bad news for you. You're all dying. And they're alive forever. But you know, the moment our physical body dies, we're alive forever too. Isn't that beautiful? And all of heaven rejoices, precious in the sight of the Lord, are the death of his saints. Oh, are you going to miss him? You always will, because your DNA was not imparted to understand death. There was no death when God created man and woman. Okay? So I hope that helps a lot of you in your understanding of, is God good when someone dies? In Isaiah 43, verse 2. Okay? I don't know what anybody's going through here, but if you're going through something, raise your hand. Yeah, okay? This is for you. When you pass through the waters... I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Isn't that a great scripture? But here's the thing I want you to see. Now listen to me. You're going through them. He didn't say I'm going to take you out of them. He said, look, when you go through them, don't worry about it. You're not going to drown. You're not going to catch on fire. Nothing's going to happen to you. You're okay. You're going through them. You see, but that's okay. Because 
you will be victorious. Just like the potter never left the fire, he's not leaving you one bit. I will be with you no matter what you're going through. And he says he will bring you out not smelling like smoke. Now, David, just so I'll tell you this real quick. I'm going to not look up the scriptures. They're there for you. But here's what I like about David. David was anointed king when he was a young man, okay? And after he was anointed king, you know what they told him? Get back out to those sheep. Uh, excuse me? I was just anointed king? Get back out there. Okay? And then... David's tending sheep. His dad says, go check on your brothers in the army. He gets there, and Goliath is there. Okay? Well, do you know David had to go tend sheep in order to be take care of Goliath? You see, that was preparation for David because tending sheep sounds horrible when you're the king. But he had to do it because he had be killed a lion and he killed a bear. And that took away any fear for chasing a giant. And he needed to chase that giant, didn't he? And then he kills the giant, all right? Look, how many of you have done something wonderful at your work and your boss doesn't care and still gives you a hard time, huh? Here's the boss saying, I want to kill him. Wait a minute. I just saved your company. I just saved you from total disaster, and now you want to kill me? Yes, I do. So Saul tries to kill him. Saul tries to kill him. Do you think David uh, was wondering what in the world's going on? I'm supposed to be king? What are you doing to me? I am to be the king. And now you are telling me that Saul wants to kill me. God said, don't worry about it, David. I made provision. Saul's own son and Saul's own daughter prevented David from being killed. How do you like that? How do you like that? You see, God has a plan for you. God has to prepare you. But God will provide for you while he's preparing for you because God wants you to be a $100,000 teacup. See, David could have said, okay, Saul, I don't want to be king. Take the anointing off of me. You can have it for as long as you want. I'm out. And he probably would have been okay, but he would not have met the, his destiny. And then Saul is anointed king, and God fulfilled his promise. So when bad things are happening, you know what? Bad things are going to happen. But for the Christian, here's the wonderful news. The bad things happen, and Jesus is with you the whole way. So our response, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Right? James 1, 2, and 3 you all know this when we studied James for a while. We spent a lot of time on this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know your testing produces faith and faith perseverance. Perseverance finishes at work, so you may be, look mature and lacking in nothing. How many of you want to be lacking in nothing? Then you're going to go through the trials. Right? 
Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. How many of you know John 16, 33? I've had so many people say this to me, and this is how they quote it. Oh, but you know... In this world, you're going to have trials. I say, ah, yeah. Yep, that's true. You're quoting scripture, but finish it. But finish it. And they kind of look at me because all they've ever been told is, you're going to go through this. You're going to have trials. But here's the rest of the verse. But be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. Oh, man, how many of you would see a trial completely different if you went into it knowing you already won? Right? How many? Let's start approaching trials as the winner, okay? One time, the Buffalo Bills were on, and I couldn't watch it, so they were going to tape it for me, Okay? I walk in the door and my daughter said, the bill's won. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I sat and watched the game and I enjoyed that game more than any other game because I already knew they were winners. <laughs> you see, if we go into a battle and we already know we're the winners, the game can actually be a lot more fun, don't you think? Yeah. And Psalm 34, 19... Psalm 34, 19. The righteous person may have troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Let me say that again. You might have troubles, but the Lord delivers you from them all. And Psalm 37, 5 says this. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust him. And he will do it. Amen? So let's approach things in our lives knowing that God is making us better and better and better. That we will come out winners and we can be guaranteed our life is in his hands. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune into other broadcasts at Gather in Ministries.